Hey, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Off Mic, Off the Record. I'm your host, Aaron Bentley. Joining me this week um, would be a gentleman who, that song on the intro you just heard, he's quite comfortable with playing the lead parts to that, Mr. Reed Barton. How's it going? It's good, man. How are you? I'm is, great. Is it is it strange to hear a song that you play as an intro to a podcast? Huh. It's definitely really cool. It's really cool. And hey, if I'm not mistaken, we wrote that song together. We did. We did. That was um, two years ago. Oh, yeah. We all sat around. That, that was when uh, we were pretty heavy into the campfire jams. Campfire jams. We were doing a lot of uh, the songwriter circle, and that was one that definitely came out of the gazillion nights we sit around the campfire. 100%. I enjoy those nights. I do too. And that's one of my favorite songs to play live. That's a good one. Um, if you notice, I just ordered a load of firewood sitting out there. I, I saw that. I saw that. Because it is getting close to campfire season. So what what have you been up to, man? I mean, you're you're a man of a thousand things always going on. You do the schooling, you you know, you've gone back to school, you've been a substitute teacher. <laughs> Yeah, I was for a little while. For for a short while. I was for a little while. That's true. Not these days, but yeah, <sighs> I did. How was that? Being a substitute teacher? It had its days. I mean, it 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 was good steady work for sure. Yeah. It was steady work, but I mean, I honestly um I didn't always have the the right patience for it. I mean, it was just uh so I did substitute teaching and um, paraprofessional work, and that was working with like um, para- the paraprofessional work was working more with like special needs kids. Okay. And honestly, I enjoyed that a lot more. I, I enjoyed I, that a lot more. I've heard that from a lot of different people that when you do get to work with special needs kids, that it's more fulfilling and it's more enjoyable. Yeah, and some you know some people don't you know have the have the the desired, you know, some people that's not their thing or whatever. And, yeah. Um, but like, yeah, it's, it, it takes a certain type of person, I think, but yeah, it's, I, I just, I enjoyed that type of work, you know? And so, um, yeah. And, and it was steady work. Yeah. It's, um, you're right. It takes a special kind of person because I'm not going to say it's patience. It's a different type of mindset when you're going into it. Sure. And, I like teaching people something new, especially when I have knowledge about something and you're able to see the, I get it moment. Sure. And that's very rewarding. I would not be a good teacher of teenagers. <laughs> yeah. The see, and being a regular substitute teacher, you, you know, you get tested a lot and stuff like that, but I, you know, I was pretty, I was pretty popular. I mean, like as a, as far as like on the different campuses and stuff, I, I could work on a, multiple different campuses. And I mean, I, I, I didn't really have bad days. I mean, it's just, uh, you just have to have patience. You know, you have to be able to deal with some BS. Yeah. We were all teenagers at one time. We were all young kids at one time. And that is part of it is yeah dealing is. with, dealing with the drama. It was kind of weird though. Um, um, it was kind of weird, like being the substitute for 
people that like like in, the, in it for for students that like I also went to school with because it happened like I graduated high school and then was a substitute like two years later, like maybe three years later. So oh. there were there were some kids that were like freshmen when I was a senior. And they were seniors. And then they were seniors when I went to ah. to go. What's up, Reed? Hey, man, are you our sub? Something kind of like that. And I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, uh, of course. What's going on? Hey, man, hey, what's going on, guys? What's going on, guys? No, it was, it, it was, it was a pretty good gig. And the scheduling was great. Oh, yeah. I could work. I, I could work or not work whatever day. And so, you know, I worked as many days as I could, but then we'd go on the road and it'd be like, bing, bang, boom, set up my own schedule. Yeah. And it, I could do it like a day before, you know, it was very, very flexible. Good. Anybody who's looking for a flex, very flexible job with steady work, substitute teaching, if, if, hey, if it's, if it's the right thing for you, it's, it's steady work. I agree with that hundred percent. It is Definitely not the right thing for me because the only thing that I would want to teach would be English. And in today's culture with texting and the fact that the urban dictionary has changed since I was a teenager, you just got to reread it, man. <sighs> There's so many words right now. I don't understand what they get mean. up to date. What does fleek mean? On fleek. It, On fleek. It means you're, you're popping. You're 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 looking good. It's on fleek. It's 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 a good thing. It's a it's a compliment. Like, man, that Muppet shirt you're wearing is on fleek. Doctor Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, sir. It's great. It's great. Thank you. Um, and so it's on fleek. It's it's tight. It's on point. It's a little tight. I've gained a few pounds. See, that's where my problem is. No, see, see, you're taking things too literal. That's the not problem. Tight, not tight as in, you, no, you look like you've lost weight, Aaron. I actually have lost weight. Yeah, you definitely do. 31 pounds. That's amazing. Yes. That's amazing. Okay. So if you don't mind me asking, let's turn the turntable. Absolutely. And I'll ask you a question. Go for it. What are some things that you've done to work towards... Losing that weight because I'm in, I'm trying to lose weight myself right now. Okay, and so and and I've lost a little bit lately, and I because I've been working out um, at least five days a week. So it all starts in the kitchen. Okay, no soda. Okay, no soda. I have reduced refined sugars to almost none. I do natural sugars, fruit. Um, like I told you, I do juice once a day. Um, portion control. That's the biggest thing. Oh, you can cough. It don't matter. This is very informal. It was actually a burp. It was a cough, a burp. I thought it was gonna be a cough. So it was a burp. Um, oh, if I cough, I'll cough, but I think burping on the mic. Yeah, it's a little different. It's gross. Absolutely. It is. Cause then I got to sanitize it more than I normally sanitize. Hence the reason I leaned away for the burp. Good. Um, I portion control is the biggest thing, dude. It really is. Um, I listen to my body. Cause you know, sometimes you're like, eat something, man, this is so good. And your body's like, Hey dude, you're full. You're like, ah, just one more bite. Eh, two more bites. Eh. I started to just stop doing that. I stretch every single morning. That's great. Every morning I stretch for about 15 minutes and like actual stretching, not just uh, get up and you know, yawn and stretch. No, like I actually do um, yoga style stretching. Yoga. And so you just say you do yoga. Uh, it's, it's some yoga and it's some, um, hey, yoga's great, man. Yoga's great. I'm I'm still a little too chunky to do full yoga. I can do about seven poses, but um, I did just do a lot of like uh, hurdler stretching, just different kinds of things. Just get your your blood flowing. I eat breakfast every single day. Okay, 
Every single day. Every single day I eat breakfast. Okay. And I'm not trying to crash diet or fad diet or anything like that. I'm just listening to my body and my body says, yeah, do that. Working on the gut biome, taking the right supplements in the right proportion. I'm not pounding down protein shakes. I'm not doing all this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm just, I'm listening to what my body says. Yeah. And that's been the biggest thing because I didn't used to be the chunky guy. Sure. I, uh, I just put the weight on over several years and it's, it's been a slow process, but. You, you mentioned uh probiotic mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a term that I learned in the, like maybe the last six months. I mean, I had heard it before, but like, I really like, you know, learned what it meant. Um, I was, I learned that, um, you know, supposedly, um, this is, some a piece of information I received from somebody I think was probably qualified to tell me, but um, supposedly um, your your probiotic health, your gut health, mm-hmm. has a lot to do with like the rest of your body, like a lot. I mean, Everything. well, I, I mean, not not apparently. I mean, it definitely does. But like, even so much is like your mental health, absolutely. Because you know, and 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 um, so one thing I started doing a lot is and now I've always been a big fan of Greek yogurt. Yes. But after realizing like the probiotic benefits of it and how it keeps your gut mm-hmm. in check, I eat it a lot more regularly now. And I, you know, and like I've been making a lot of other changes too, but like on a day to day basis, I feel like so much better now, especially now that I'm exercising mm-hmm. every day, maybe not every, <sighs> maybe not every day on the weekends, but Monday through Friday, I exercise every day. I go to the gym. And so, um, it's made a big difference in a lot of things in my life, like how I feel and like mental activity. <clears throat> yeah. Mental, mental, health. mental health is the biggest one. So your gut biome is the largest organism part of your body. And it actually, I'm still learning a lot about it, but mental health, it has a lot to do with it because if your body doesn't feel right, you're going to be cranky. If your insides aren't feeling right, you're going to have less focus because you're thinking, oh, I just feel like shit or whatever. But if you feel better and you're eating better, and that's a big thing, eating right. So much of the food we have these days is chock full of just bullshit. Oh, for sure. Um, we started eating a lot fresher. We meal prep, um, doing a lot of single ingredient or, or cooking naturally, not so much just pounding the seasonings on. We're seasoning with like rosemary and different stuff like that. And, you know, we're doing like a pork loin and then do a single vegetable on the side with light seasoning. And it's just so good. My wife's an amazing cook. Oh, like, yeah. She's, she's hands down the greatest. So when you meal prep, I'm not very good at meal prepping. And because, like, if I make seven meals and they're all the same. That's where you have to do it. I'm not, I'm not going to eat all seven of those because I'm going to get tired of it uh, on the third day and be like, fuck this. Yeah, no joke. You know. So the big thing that we do is when my wife meal preps for me, she'll have, like if it's pork loin. I'll have two meals for that week that are pork loin. Yeah. And then she might do like uh, meatballs with, so I might be like this week I had uh, pork loin with broccoli and then I had carrots and meatballs. So I had two of each because I work, the day job is four days a week. Okay. So you, so you meal prep two different things, two different things. Okay. So there's a little variety. There's a little variety in there. So it's like, you know, pork loin, then meatballs, pork loin, meatballs. And then Perfect. breakfast, I will do a couple eggs with 
a meat of some kind. Yeah. And a lot of times I'll do it with like tomato or something. Yeah. And I've also reduced the amount of dairy I put in my body. Sure. Sure. You ever, or you ever, um, what do you think of like alt milks? I was on the almond milk for a, for a while. Yeah. Same. Uh, same. But I'm almost at the point where I don't do milk anymore. I drink so much water, it's obnoxious. You know, I've gone through a lot of phases of, like, in and outs with milk. I love milk. I grew up drinking milk, and, you know, I've tried a lot of the fake milks, and um, almond's definitely my favorite. Almond's almond, the way to go. Almond, almond's the way to go. Um, you know, oat milk, no good. Never was. I tried oat milk oat once, milk. and I was just, yeah. Uh, it's just like... It's like water with syrup in it. Yes. I'm not a fan. And so... Um, now, yeah. if it's maple syrup and water, I might be a fan. Mm. But then that goes back to the too much sugar. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, almond milk is great. Unsweetened almond milk. I'll drink like a glass of that. Like I, I, I like it because I, lo- I love almonds. Almonds are great. So, you know, you do get that strong almond mm-hmm. aftertaste. Good and, stuff. Yeah. And when I snack, I snack sensibly. Sure. So you, you eat like... Fruits and nuts and mm-hmm. vegetables and yeah, absolutely. I'm a fan of those as well. Raw almonds all day, all day long. Uh, pecans, pecans, absolutely. Yeah, and I don't do like heavy salted nuts. I like just getting them. It just yeah, just raw, just raw, just the way they are. Yeah. And it's yeah, man. Thank you for noticing. That's the uh, that's where I'm at. And I think the biggest thing is is the the last few times I have tried to lose weight is I've done it. It's like nothing zero to one hundred. Yeah, so quick. And that's yeah. always been my problem is then yeah. it's like you burn out and my exercising when I do exercise, cause I work so many hours at the day job. I say I work four days a week, yeah. but those are usually four fourteens or four fifteens. Yeah. Those are long shifts. Those are long shifts. So I'm exhausted. So yeah. But when I get home, it's just chill out, relax and working a lot on another part of it really is the mental health part. Um, I do breathing exercises, meditate. Absolutely. That's great. That's great. I don't, you know, and I wish I could say I did that more uh, and more consistently. But um, the biggest thing for me, no doubt that meditation would be huge if I could have that discipline. But the biggest thing for me has been exercising every day. I wish I could regularly. Now, I've got all the stuff here to do it. Yeah. I just need to get myself back in the habit of it. No, no, I I completely understand. And so when I, you know, I know I'm sure a lot of conversations lead back to this, and I'm kind of tired of talking about it. So I'll keep this part of it brief. But like when COVID, you know, when COVID hit, you know, obviously it was a lot of time at home and stuff. And I learned a lot of like, I just picked up some new hobbies and, you know, some of those hobbies turned into things that turned like, I'm really super interested in now that I would consider as more than, than hobbies. Like it's part of my life. And, um, yeah, like one of those things was not just sitting around the house and feeling like shit all day, you know, because, um, that's what happened, you know, when COVID first hit, it would spend a lot of time at home and then, you know, and so, yeah, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of so much sitting around and I was, it was just really making me, um, kind of gloomy, you know, it, does. And it, it was, it was kind of a dark, a dark little chapter there. And so, and, and it was for a lot of people. And so, yeah. And, and, uh, I was living in Nacogdoches 
at the time. That's where I was going to school. Behind the Pine Curtain. Behind the Pine Curtain. Such a beautiful town. I honestly, I miss Nacogdoches for how pretty it was. But Such a gorgeous place. Such a gorgeous place. And so there was a park in town that um, I would just, every day, I would just drive out there, uh, park my car, and then go jog for like a couple miles. And, you know, definitely at first I didn't jog that whole distance. But by the end of, you know, my time in Nacogdoches, when I had jogged that same trail so many times, I could do the whole thing, you know. And it was just like see that improvement of like really struggling at first and then yeah. getting it getting it to where I could comfortably run the whole thing was like, it, it was cool. And, and so it did a lot for like my my mental health for sure. And 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 I would, yeah, I was just, it was, it was, I was bummed out for a while. Um, it was hard to, it was hard to find work in Nacogdoches. You know, I was working there for a while and, um, but yeah, it, it was just, it was nice working out is, has been a big thing and I still do it. I highly encourage everybody to exercise. Our bodies are designed to be in motion. They are. They are. You, you go into even 130 years ago, people worked. So, uh, they did. And I'm giving you, this is your segue to the, the history portion we can go into. Yes. And this is, uh, this is amazing. This is amazing. You like that, don't you? That's I love good, it. That was a good little. That was an amazing segue. I'm a big history fan. And I want to, I want to give you, um, a fun fact. Let's do it. About humans and about movement. So generally when compared to animals, like wild animals, humans are not considered to be like physically superior. Right. Right. In any way. Can you think of anything that humans are better at than any animal besides thinking? If you're talking physicality, none. I mean, and maybe opposable thumbs, but there are wild animals that have those too. So there is something that humans can do better than any animal in the world. And I think it's been an integral part of our survival. I mean, it, it definitely has been, it's, 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 it's a thing. But humans can run further than any other animal at more or less full speed without stopping. Or they can pay, maybe not full speed, but humans can pace, pace themselves longer than any other animal in the animal kingdom. Interesting. They are the humans are the best long distance runners on earth. Interesting. I am not a long distance runner. Oh, I'm definitely not either. I'm definitely not either. But I just, I, you know, I read a thing on that and it makes sense because that's how, that's how humans, you know, eventually captured horses Mm -hmm. because they could, you know, a horse is probably considered the best runner on earth. Maybe maybe a cheetah. I was going to say a horse or a cheetah. Yeah. Cheetahs are the fastest for sure. But a horse, you know, but you know, a horse cannot sustain a 26 mile run. A horse will die. If yes. you run it for 26 miles. Well, because a horse and like a lot of animals, they don't know how to listen to their body to stop. They don't know how to stop. And that is, you know, horses carry so much weight. Oh yeah. It's just not possible. And so if you run a horse for a full marathon, it'll die. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, most horses at least, maybe they're, I'm sure there are extreme examples, but anyway, the in a- general, the average human, if they train could maybe run a marathon. I don't know. You, you see what I'm getting at, though? Like, humans run marathons regularly. I could do a tenth of a marathon. What's a tenth of a marathon? 2.6? No, I could do believe that. I did 25th of a marathon. That's amazing, but I believe in you. 
physically, I don't know that I can between my knees and my ankles. Sure. I, I think I can make it from here to the door. That's eight steps. Hey, yoga. I do yoga. Yoga is awesome. I do yoga. And you know what else? You know what my favorite type of exercise is? What's that? Boxing. Boxing is great. Full body workout. Full body workout. I, I say, well, I say it's great. I, I don't really have a lot of experience with it. But. So, so we have the home gym here, which is half of our storage building is storage. The other half is home gym. Beautiful. 90% of it's storage right now because it's not organized. Yeah. But in there, I've got a heavy bag and a speed bag. Yeah. And there's nothing like cranking up some good rock. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. And just, you know, putting it on the speaker and just jamming and doing a couple five or three minute rounds on who's the heavy your, bag. Who's your go to? Who's your what's your pump up music? Who do you what So it's an interesting playlist. Yeah. Um some examples. There's some Kanye on there. Kanye. All right. Good good, good rhythm, good beat. Good morning. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Good um morning. Uh, Power by Kanye. I've got some Notorious B.I.G. on there. Okay. But then um, ACDC. Yeah. Uh, Zeppelin. Zeppelin. Levy by the, by Zeppelin is like, when that's the, a, when the levy breaks. When the levy breaks. When that comes on, I'm just like, ah, uh, mm, uh, and I just want to, that's a song. I just want to get into it on the, on the heavy bag. And it's good because I've, I do like some circuit workout. I mean, I've got free weights and I've got uh, stationary, um, elliptical out there and things like that. Yeah. Uh, because I can't right now, if I try to go out and run, I'm going to do about a half a mile jogging and then I'm going to have to walk about a lap. Nothing wrong with nothing that. wrong with that. But with that. toward the Achilles, you know, several years ago. So no, I understand. I understand. I understand. The running's not really the thing, but hopping around in place and getting that rhythm bouncing to it and throwing, get, get some cardio going. It's important. And, uh, because it's, very, I run on a treadmill regularly. Nothing wrong with that. You do incline on that too. Mm-hmm. We just turned this into a fitness and health podcast. It's all good. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I do. Um, incline is the best part about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I'll usually, sometimes I kind of overdo it and I'm like, <gasps> I can't keep up. And one time I actually, uh, like it wasn't like too dramatic. I mean, I stayed on my feet, but I, I like couldn't keep, I like, I went too hard and I got launched off the back of the, off the treadmill, really? but, but, but it wasn't like, I didn't tumble. That would have been funny, but no, I stayed on my feet, but it was embarrassing. I was like, I was like, I, I can't believe I've done this. That's amazing. So you said you're a history buff. Yes. Yes. And you gave me some interesting facts about the human there. What is your, what, what vein of history do you like the most? Well, I mean, I guess generally <laughs> I love music history stuff. Like, country music history and blues and rock and stuff. But I, um, but, but, but like, that's just whatever. Like if we're talking serious history, I mean, so like Ken Burns, the history of country music documentary history, you know, I haven't actually watched that yet. So I'm going to tell you that one's really, I'm a big documentary guy. So anytime I can, me too, huge documentary guy, I am music documentaries first. For sure. Uh, uh, true crime documentary second. Oh, I love true crime. And then third, random bullshit documentaries. For sure. I will find some stupid random bullshit documentaries and I will get on those and Summer will hate life for an hour and 46 minutes because I will watch some dumb shit. Give, will, me, give me an example. What's some dumb shit to you? Um, there was one called The King of Kong. And it was about a guy in Silicon Valley who lost his job. He'd like been at some big firm for, 
15 years and he loses his job. And in the process of finding a new job and extending his career, he decides he wants to break the world record for the King Kong score. The King Kong score? Or not King Kong, Donkey Kong score. Uh, Donkey Kong. So he goes and gets a Donkey Kong machine. And then it gets into this whole world about the guy. So we're not talking about King Kong. No, I meant Donkey Kong. So this is all Donkey Kong. All Donkey Kong. But it's called The King. It's on Netflix? It was like eight years ago. It may still be. But it's called The King of Kong. Okay. And the whole thing is just about this guy on his journey to set the world record for the score on Donkey Kong. Okay. That's cool. And all the the seedy underworld of the... Yeah. Go ahead. As the seedy underworld of the video game. The seedy underworld of video games. That's a good voice you got there. Um, that, and then I watched Thank one. Thank you. In a world where everything matters. In a world. You knew exactly where I was going. <laughs> run by stray cats. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Continue. It's all good. Uh, packs of wild dogs. What's that quote off of... Uh, <laughs> Packs of wild dogs are running the streets of Miami. That's it. Yes, yes. I don't think he says Miami, but he I, says I, know something. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. that's off of uh, Talladega Nights. Yeah. And he doesn't say it like that. Yeah, but he just, packs of wild dogs or something like that. Uh, yeah. Okay, sidetrack. <laughs> uh, I watched another one called The Parking Lot Movie. The Parking Lot Movie. Okay. And it's about this parking lot, maybe just outside the University of Michigan, maybe Ohio State. And it's okay. just about these guys who work at a parking lot by like the where their their version of Sixth Street would be. Cool. And it was an hour and forty five minutes about these guys working a parking lot. That what is there? There's some drama in there. People get into fights. People not wanting to pay, so they run through the barrier and is they got to replace the barrier. On on something I can watch. Uh, yeah, Netflix Prime. Okay, just look up parking lot movie. Check it out. Um. Hey, let me, I'll recommend you something really cool. Um, so I'm not really even a big sports guy, uh, but there's some really, really cool sports documentaries on Netflix right now. Um, there's a collection called Untold. So I saw something about it. You should watch it. Yesterday. You should watch it. There's mo- Okay, so I will say I do think some episodes are not as exciting as others. But if you want to, like, I'll rank them. Um, I'll just like the bet the. There's one um, called I think Untold Crime and Penalties. I think that's probably the best one, and it's uh it's about this hockey team. And basically, the whole point of this series is you know the untold stories of of popular sports that are. This is like very behind the scenes stuff, right? And some of it. You know, it, it made headlines when it happened, but it, it this is all stuff that happened 15, 20 years ago. And it's just yeah. So one of the um one of the episodes is about this NHL hockey team um called the Danbury Trashers. Oh. And they're from Danbury they were from Danbury, Connecticut. And the guy that owned the team, I think his name was Jimmy Galante. And he was like uh, he owned a trash business, a very prominent trash business okay. in Connecticut, and he uh, was supposedly involved in like gangster act, like mob shit. Oh, he took out the trash. He took out the trash. Okay, and so and he was very prominent. He and he like served time in prison, but also like did a lot for his community, like that that kind of guy. Anyway, he's the Robin Hood. He's the Robin Hood, and uh, yeah. 
he kind of reminds me of like Tony Soprano. He was he was Soprano. in Tony Soprano was in the uh, the collection business. Yes, and so yeah, and so anyway, this guy buys a hockey team and he gives control of the team to his son, and his son is seventeen years old, and he's in high school still. And he's got control of a hockey team. And he's got control of a hockey team. And this team becomes known for being a very rough team. Like, their goon is like, his name was um, Brad Wingfield. And uh, I I got, I hope I got that right. But he's a badass. We're informal. Don't worry about it. He's a badass. And I want to have a beer with that guy. And he was their enforcer. And he just, and then they had another guy. That his, I believe his nickname was the Terror, or some yeah, and sounds about right. Or I think he was from Nigeria, and it was something like the Nigerian Nightmare, you know. And he had anyway, it was he was a big dude, and he just fucked people up left and right. And so anyway, the team got a reputation for just being super rough, and uh, but but really good. Like they were a great team. They started winning a lot, and uh, turns out. AJ, the 17-year-old son, uh, did a great job, and he ran the team well, and uh, they were winning a lot. But then, like, the Fed stepped in because of Jimmy Galante's other... Some ex- illegal activity. Some of his extracurricular activities. Yeah. They stepped in, and basically they were like... They, they got him on some things, you know, and sent him to prison for a while. And... um Basically, the, the the team had all their stuff stripped because they're like, the team was, you know, they were like accusing them of using the team for like money laundering. Yeah, I was going like to say, that. that's, that's usually where the, I was going to figure it would go was money yeah, laundering. Yeah, and so because they were super well funded. and it, But anyway, it, it wrapped up really nice. Like Jimmy Galante went away for a while and he spent, he did some time and then he came back. And his business was still going like the people, you know, he had people running it and everything and it was still a successful because it's trash business, you know, it's, and so everybody has trash. It, it's, you so never it's, have a low in business. It's an integral. Yeah. And, and so, um, anyway, he, he gets out of prison and, you know, obviously his son is much older and it's the, the, doc, the documentary gets a little sad for a second. Cause he's like, um, you know, it was kind of sad. I missed everything. And right as I went away is right when the team crashed. And so, you know, he came back and uh, everyone was had moved on without him. But then um, there was a really dedicated um, section of fans from Danbury that went to every game. And they, like, organized a reunion. And so, like, the end of it had, like, a nice, like, it was, like, a big party. And this is, you know, this all happened in the early 2000s. And then, like, this, the reunion was, like, recently, you know. So, anyway, that documentary wrapped up. It had a, it had a. Had a, feel good. Had a feel good. In- had a feel good to it. And then there's another documentary about, uh, it's called Malice at the Palace. Yeah, uh, that's the one I know I'm familiar with. That's an, yeah, that's an event that. I so, remember that happening. What was that? What was that player's name? Ron Artest. Ron Artest. Dude, like I have, I have mixed feelings about that, about that whole, the, the Malice in the Palace. When was that? Was that 2004? Early 2000s, yeah. It was the Pacers and the Pistons. Pistons. In Detroit. Mm-hmm. At the Palace. At the Palace. And this is NBA. Uh-huh. And uh, what was it? Uh, a fan. Okay, so it was Ron Artest and another player. Ron Artest is with the Pacers. Ron, um, and the other guy was with the Pistons. Yes. Uh, and they get into a little scuffle on the court. Something happens. And 
I think what was it? Ron Artest was like kind of he like laid on the scoring table. Like he he did something, got a foul. I don't know. The other guy got mad, and then he was kind of taunting him a little bit. But things weren't. Ron that, Artest was being a jerk, like he is. He was being a jerk, but he wasn't like totally out of line at that point. No, he was. That just, was between him and another player, and then some asshole from the stands throws a beer and uh then and then our test got pissed and shit went down he ran up in the stands and started throwing hands and then everybody started fighting and so here here's my opinion i love sports yeah i played several sports growing up i hate fans sure as a collective i don't hate people i don't hate persons yeah i hate people because when you get people together things get a little hand sure my opinion is, if you're watching a sporting event and you paid money to be there, cool. You have zero right to interfere with what's going on. Oh, no. Of course. 150 million billion percent. Now, I think crowds are great when crowds get active, you know, and, yes. and, 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 and there's noise and that type of thing. But, you know, I mean, yeah, there's... I hate assholes. Yeah, and what... What got me about that ordeal was like, you know, there's all these. So basically, Ron Artest runs up in the stands and starts punching the wrong guy. Yes. And he starts punching the wrong guy. He, it wasn't even the guy that threw the beer. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of shit that went down. Like, players started fighting fans. And one guy threw a chair and hit. What, did he hit Ron Artest? Or he hit somebody else. Somebody got hit with a chair. And, uh, yeah, it was just this ugly thing that went down in between fans and players. And uh, the thing was, like, I think I think this is what happened, was, like, the guy that they, they tracked down, like, you know, the DA got involved. Like, the was it the, the U.S.? Like, the, the, the federal? No. The, yeah. a D, like, a federal prosecutor yeah. got involved. And he was like, all right, the biggest person we need to find is who threw that beer. Because there's a lot of people at fault here, but we need to find who started The it. instigator. The instigator. And so they found that guy and he admitted and he did an interview on national TV. Like he's like, yeah, I threw the beer. The only thing I regret was not sticking my foot out and tripping Ron Artest. And, you know, he was just being a dick about it. And I'm and I'm pretty sure he's the only one. Well, maybe not the only one, but he's the only one I remember that like got I'm pretty sure he like got in trouble, trouble. Like he probably got some jail time. He got some federal charges. Yeah. And so like, fuck that guy. So here's the thing. I'm all about yeah him giving the interview and everything. I only wish somebody would have thrown a beard at him during that interview. That would have been great. That would have been very entertaining to watch. It's just... I love sporting... See, for that, they should have got him on Leno or something, and then they definitely would have dumped some beer on him. Oh, yeah. I've been all about it. People like that, you can boo at a sporting event. I'm all about showing emotion. It's when you throw stuff. Yeah. Ah... Mm. Oh no, that's that's all kinds of wrong. Like, that's like at a you know, it's just you can't you can't be doing that. You can't be throwing stuff at a uh, sporting event, a sporting event, or music or shows. You shouldn't. I mean, and th- there are some places where it's encouraged a little bit. I guess if it's like a depending on what it is, <laughs> but not really. Not you mean really. if you it's about you shouldn't. Throw you mean it. if it's about beer or whiskey? It's about beer and whiskey and drinking. Yeah. Did you did you go this year? First time in a decade I missed. This is the first time in, I think, five years that I've missed. 
I wasn't there. And I had a couple people reach out to me. Hey, man, where are you at? We're looking for your campfire jam. Talking about the Larry Joe Taylor, by the way. LJT Texas Music Festival at the Melody Mountains Ranch out there in Stumble. You had people asking. Hey, man, where are you at? Where are you at? Where's your, where's your jam at this year? I'm at home, brother. Uh, I'm at the J job right now, day job right now, and I'm uh, working. They're like, what? You're not hosting a campfire jam? And I was like, I didn't realize people were looking for me to host one. Yeah. I mean, I guess I've kind of done it up for better part of a decade. Yeah, you would have been very welcomed back. Absolutely. Eh. Different branding now. Different branding. And hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Take some time to build the brand. And then, hey, you know, go back in with the, you know, the same model as before. I thought it worked. Adjust the branding a little bit. I thought it worked. It did. It did. People had fun. People did have fun. Yeah, I didn't go this year, and I was a little bummed out. But, hey, we were on the road, like, Friday and Saturday that weekend. We we had shows. We were working, and so I was grateful. And Y'all we, been pretty busy. We had a great weekend. Oh, my God. Last weekend was was uh, was uh great. It's good. With uh, playing with, with Austin Upchurch. Yeah, that was good. My good friend. Good friend. Music soul brother. We've done a lot of writing together, the three of us. Absolutely. I remember you sending me a song one time that you did at a sound check at a bar. Like, I don't know if you were sound checking this song, you were on a solo gig, and like you had a recording of it, and you could hear somebody shooting pool in the background, a little bit of chatter. God, this has been years ago. And I, I know t- what you're talking about, but I have no idea what the song was. I don't either. And that, that's why I was hoping I was going to segue this into getting you to play the song, but I don't remember what it was. And this is driving me mad. We're going to have to go to a different song because I don't know what song this was. But what's the last song you released as a solo project? The last song that I released... Um, was a song that I wrote um, probably four years ago uh, called All the Money in the World. That's a gooder. Yeah, so I was telling you this before the podcast. This guitar that I brought today, it's been, it's been in storage for a really long time. This is an old guitar. It's a 1976 I love it. Yeah. It's just a year or two older than me. Really? I'm a 79 model. I like to think of myself as the 79 J45. 79 J45. That's amazing. I um, I love this guitar, but I have one more dream acoustic before I get going. Um, what's what's the dream guitar? It's a Martin D28. Okay. I'm not super picky on the year as of right now. Obviously, a vintage one would be awesome. But um, 65? That's going to take some bread. A little bit. But yeah, I'd, I'd settle for a brand new one at this at this moment in time. I, yeah, I get it. A guitar is a guitar. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add the character myself because I'll take it places and it'll get played and worn in and it'll get some scuffs. A little bit of bumps here and there and yeah. neck possibly. You, you saw how... How clumsy I am when I stood up a few minutes ago. I was bumping this guitar all over the place. But that's character. So why don't you play that one for me? All right. So this is all the money in the world.
Blue skies, blue eyes, one look and I'm baptized. There's a breeze blowing, I can hear our song whispering through the pines. I can feel it in the air. What we got is real, I swear. I'm giving more than I got to spare just to make you mine. Hair is like a sunset sky with a fire burning in your eyes. Your laughter makes the world go around like a warm summer night. To make my time with you worthwhile, I just need to see you smile. Let's take our inch and go a mile around the world tonight. Around the world tonight. Lips taste twice as sweet as a sip of homemade cherry wine. All the money in the world ain't worth the feeling of your hand in mine. I remember when I first met you, the air it smelled like barbecue. Stars they shine like diamonds in the sky. Happiness was all around. The air was filled with country sounds. I'll always remember that night of late July. In late July, your lips taste twice as sweet as a sip of homemade cherry wine. All the money in the world ain't worth the feeling of your hand in mine. Your lips taste twice as sweet as a sip of homemade cherry wine. All the money in the world ain't worth the feeling of your hand in mine. All the money in the world ain't worth. Thank you, man. I really liked that one. I remember, I remember, I think you showing me that song in its infancy when you would really just, I think you would just got the the melody down and maybe uh verse chorus. Yeah. And I, I really remember like, I think that was a, that's a good one, man. And it turned out really well. I really appreciate you playing that. That's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a good feel song. Thank you. It's uh mm-hmm. it's got a lot of good melodic, just kind of it immediately. As soon as I hear it, I, I start kind of, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I feel good about life. Yeah, yeah. And see, I, I recorded that one with um, my friend Cody Angel. Uh, we recorded it down in Green by New Brownfuls. Yeah. And we recorded like, I want to say four other songs, maybe. Maybe three others, but I think four others. And um, yeah, and so I've released a few of them, and then I still have a few kind of couple in the tucked away. couple in the chamber. Yeah. A couple in the can, as we like to say. A couple in the can, that's right. We like to say it. For you, what is the importance of playing music with others? With others? Well, um, it's important to not box yourself in, right? Yeah. It's important to not box yourself in and to get ideas from other people. And also, I'm a very firm believer that... You should always try to surround yourself 
with people that are better than you. 100%. And it doesn't matter what it is. If you know, you're a cook, you like to cook, hang out with other people that like to cook who you genuinely know are more knowledgeable and better than you. Spend as much time as you can. And um, same thing applies to music, for sure. Oh, yeah. um, you know, I play the guitar and, um, you know, I go to um, Tarleton, right? And, you know, obviously this isn't hanging out because I'm taking lessons from him. But, like, my guitar teacher, he's amazing. And he knows so much. And, um, you know, I've learned a lot in the short time I've been going to Tarleton. But, um, you know, a lot of my friends are so talented and like um I, I hang out with friends that I think write amazing songs and play you know, play guitar really well or, 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 or whatever, you know, and so whatever it is, just hang out with people and be around people who are truly better than you. And so um play, you know, that, that I, I think it's important um playing music with other people who, you know, you hold to a really high regard. It's good. And that's the truth because what's that saying? What's that saying? Um, if you're the smartest person in the room, you never learn how to be smarter. Definitely. So it's the same thing there. I, uh, I like being around people with different points of view, especially mm-hmm. when you talk about writing music, mm-hmm. because that's what helps you sharpen, sharpen the edges and soften the edges at the same time. I I dabble in the writing a little bit, the songwriting, and I'm not I'm not going to say I'm anything more than a novice writer. But I've I've learned a lot by every person I've ever sat down to do a co-write with. I've learned something melodically. I've learned something phrasing. I've learned something whatever you want to call it. And it is I think it's important because yeah, you're you're sharing knowledge and you're sharing experience that you can't get anywhere else for sure. There's not a knock on anybody that reads a lot of books about songwriting or music theory or anything. And I'm not saying this, but I think the physical aspect of sitting down with somebody who is practiced in it and versed in it, you, you get more knowledge from that person. Oh, for sure. Being in the act. For sure, dude. And like, I, I can agree with that more. Like I've learned more, um, from, you know, being around others. And, um, I would say it's, you know, obviously it's a lot of what you listen to to begin with. You know, yes. and because I, you know, I've gotten so many progressions from, excuse me, I've gotten so many progressions from like, um, you know, other songs that I, that I were stuck in my head or whatever. Yeah. I mean, everything's been reused at some point. Um, I try not to take directly, but, um, but anyway, everything you listen to, it listen to influences, you know, what you're, what you're going to write and what you're going to create. Um, even television shows you watch is going to influence it. Sure, sure. And honestly, one of my favorite things to do, um, if I am in a writer period of writer's block or, you know, just feeling like I want something fresh, I'll read a book. Mm-hmm. I like to read. I like to read books. And uh, not, I mean, I do have books like on songwriting, and I think that I have not worked through completely i've definitely not worked through them all the way but you know they have useful exercises yeah that will increase certain um like things like productivity and um ways you write and i like to write with like strong imagery you know i try to at least and um 
that's something I like authors that are, you know, very descriptive about their settings and environments like Hemingway, you know, ironically know. my favorite writer. Yes. And Hey, I would just, I just want to bring up, I know, um, you, you have a few books out on loan to me. I like do. I've, I've, I've borrowed a few from you and I'm almost finished with a movable feast. Cause you let me borrow Hitchcock's short stories, mm-hmm. which I still have. And then, uh, and I've finished and then I have a movable feast is on my nightstand right now. How far are you into it? You know, here's the problem. I'm about, I'm probably over halfway done with it, but I hate doing this, but I started another book. It happens. It happens. So the way like my mind works, I know this is crazy to some people maybe, but like I'm going to finish the book that I started, which is a Louis L'Amour book. Which one are you on? Um, what is that called? Where the long grass blows. Good one. That's the one where the guy rides into the valley and sets the rival ranches off against each other and uh-huh. then comes in and cleans up. He's an instigator. He cleans house. Bill Cavanaugh. It's a good book. It's a great book. Um, so I'm working on that one right now. And um I'm probably gonna start a movable feast over, honestly. But I'll I'll it'll it'll be easy. It's a quick read. It is. It's not. It's not a super long book. I was just kind of lacking when I was reading it before. But I'm moving through this one pretty well, and um, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna work through it. I promise. What's the? What's your favorite book you've ever read? My favorite book I've ever read. That's a great question. Yeah, that's a good question. I can does go it for, have, Does it have to be a novel? No. I can tell you what. I can tell you my top five favorite books I've ever read. Go ahead. Shel Silverstein. Okay. Where the sidewalk ends. Okay. Great. Yes. I. Yeah. Yeah. Shel Silverstein, a light in the attic. Okay. A movable feast by Hemingway is going to be my number one. Movable feast. Just because of the imagery, especially when he's talking about the streets of Paris. I love. Okay, let's talk about that book first. Or do you want to finish? Or can we talk? Let about me finish it? the list real quick. Go ahead. Uh, okay, I'm give you my two Shel Silversteins. Uh, one that I just recently read, um, Empire of the Summer Moon. Empire of the Summer Moon. That's a, it's about Native Americans, right? Kwana Parker. Kwana Parker. Brilliant book. Did he write it? Mm-mm. He's just in it. Okay. It, it's, it's about, it's about. Is it a novel? Mm, like a, like a nonfiction? Biopic. Okay. It's yeah. very much a non a nonfiction biopic. Beautiful. Um, What's your last one? Or last two? Oh, it'd be last one if I'm doing just five. Uh, Dr. Sleep by Stephen King. Okay. Stephen King, you know, I, I haven't been able to get into Stephen King that well. Um, I started one of his books, but it was at a much earlier point in my reading career, and I did not quite have the attention span at the time. Stephen King's hard to read. Y- yeah, I mean, yeah. And so um, those are great picks, though. Those are great picks. And two of them, Shel Silverstein, I remember reading um, Shel Silverstein books as a kid in elementary school. Reread them. It'll mean something totally different to you. The giving tree, right? Giving tree. It'll and, mean something totally different as an adult. I absolutely will. And, you know, Shel Silverstein was actually an amazing songwriter, too. And a boy I, named Sue. A boy named Sue. But he also wrote stuff for Tomball Glacier. Mm-hmm. Way, and I think Waylon Jennings, yes. too. And, you know, he ran in that circle. What he really lo- did. What a lot of people don't understand is the outlaw movement. Shel Silverstein was in the dead center of that. Oh, of course he was. Of course he was. And... You know, he, yeah, of course. And, you know, I definitely knew him 
from poetry first reading those poems as a kid and i and i always knew the name shell silverstein and which was it which fucking book was it where like you open like his face is like plastered on it you know what i'm talking about i think it's on the back no cover. that's that's light in the attic his face and it's like it was like whoa who's this guy mm-hmm. it's his it's his face just staring at you and you know so i always i knew what he looked like because he, he had a the back cover of the book was his face or was it an inner i can't uh, it's on the back cover. I think it just depends on which one you get. If it's sure. got a, if it's got a dust jacket on it or not. Sure, sure. Okay, so my top five books. Let's go for it. This is kind of an on the spot list, um, but I think I can do it. Okay, so in cold blood, Truman Capote. Good one. Uh, it, you know, and some of these books are going to be what you would consider like, um, like high school reading. What a lot of people had to read, and that's okay. You know. That's how I found some of these books. That's definitely how I found In Cold Blood. It's a great book. Um, there's an also a really great movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman called Capote. Yes, very brilliant. And it's an amazing movie. And make sure before you watch the movie, turn all electronic devices off, sit down, and pay attention to it. Pay attention to the movie. It's it's kind of gloomy, and it's it's kind of a but but the the beginning of it starts out. You know, if you know the story behind it, In Cold Blood is amazing. Um, it was the first nonfiction novel, I believe. This was the first time. I mean, maybe there is some exceptions, but to my understanding, it's the first time that an author wrote about an actual, like, meticulously researched, which yes. Truman Capote did. He meticulously researched. He interviewed everybody. He went through newspaper clippings. He found, yeah, yeah. and so he found out everything about, it's about a set of murders in, uh, is it Holcomb, Kansas, I think? Anyway, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I could go down that rabbit hole, but um, it's the first. it was the first time an author wrote a nonfiction novel about an event that actually happened, but he wrote it as the events of a novel. So you uh, read it and it could, it, it totally feels like this is a, one of the most exciting like thrillers, you know, but then you find out this is an actual thing that happened. It was just written from the you standpoint just, yeah, of a novel. You know the ending before it happens because it already happened. The ending is at the beginning. Yeah. Basically. If you, yeah. So kind of anyway. So yeah. Um, in cold blood. Amazing. Um, I want to, I want to talk about a book that you let me borrow. Catcher in the Rye. Was that your first read? Yes. And I'm going to read it again in a, probably about eight to nine years. So I told you, you're supposed to read it every decade of your life. Absolutely. And, and, um, I will. Greatest closing line of any book ever written. And I'm not going to give it away. Don't tell me. And I forget what it is, but I'll find out when I reread it. And then maybe I'll remember it that time. But I definitely enjoyed the book. I paid attention to it. I definitely read through it. And I caught a lot of parallels to my own life. And I think in 10 years, I'll reread it. It's going to be totally different. And it'll be totally different. It's. I don't put that in my top five because I make it required reading for myself. Yeah. So I won't read it till next year. Yeah, I read it at 13, I read it at 24, I read it at 33. So the three is the important part for me. Right. So at 43, I'll read it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, so the third book, it's kind. this is kind of a curveball. It's not a novel book. Um, I don't exactly know when this was written. I got the impression that it was written a long time ago, but actually I don't think it's that old. I think it's like 10, 15 years old. It's called um, The Dangerous Book for Boys. 
Have you ever heard of that? Never heard of it. They made a TV series about it on maybe Amazon. I think okay. I don't know. It's like totally different. It's like a almost like a kids show. But um, basically, what it is, it's this big thick. It's like a coffee table book almost. Okay, it's this big thick book, and it's just it's the I think it's these two brothers that wrote this book, and maybe they're I think they might be from the UK, and um, or maybe not. Maybe they're from America. I don't know. America. Yeah. And so they wrote they wrote this book and it's just a collection of things that any 10-year-old kid. I mean, it's called The Dangerous Book for Boys. If you got a a girl, it's she yeah. I mean, it's 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 for kid. It's just it's for any 10-year-old kid that wants to learn like and it's got and it's just it's a collection of things. Some of the things are pretty well written like stories about historical battles and events. Um, it's some of it's very knowledge based. It's how it's um, how the solar system works. It's like a chapter. Ooh, interesting. And it's like, um, this is, this is a very basic description of how the planets work. Um, and then so this, this chapter is on like some common questions that anybody could ask. How does a, how does a boat sail into the wind? And it's got a little description in a picture, and it's got a, a description of how a sailboat can use the wind to sail. And then it's got a history. I will be ordering this book today. The Dangerous Book for Boys. So it's got historical battles in it. It's got the history of, it's got a chapter called The History of Artillery. It's things that, you know, a boy would be interested in or whatever. Um, but then it's also got practical things. It's got a whole, a whole chapter on knot tying some nautical, some basic camping style, how to like a hitching, a hitching yeah. knot, you know, hitching a horse. Um, it's got a chapter on, um, some are more practical than others. Some are a little silly. One's like how to build a flashlight. And it's like, you get a little light bulb and a nine volt battery. And it's, you know, th- those are things that these two grown men authors did as a kid, probably okay. back in the way, but if they're, Older men now, I don't know. They kind of, the vernacular they use when they write kind of makes me think they're like older guys, if that makes sense. It makes sense. And like the intro to the book is like, anybody can use this. Any child from eight to 80 can use this book. And you can literally, you can learn from it. And um, there's a chapter called Poems That Any Kid Should Know. And it's like uh, some basic poems um, there's, uh, some Shakespeare talks about, there's a chapter on shake, but it's, it's not complicated. Interesting. It's, it's not like, it's not like a, an English literature textbook breakdown. It's like, Hey, Shakespeare was a great author. We want to share some of our favorite, you know, and it's very basic. It's easy to read. Um, so yeah. And, uh, some of the, some of there's two chapters called, or maybe three chapters called extraordinary stories. And one of them is on uh, an Arctic explorer and how he almost died. I think maybe it was the guy that found the South Pole. I can't uh-huh. exactly remember. But yeah, and then there's famous battles. It talks about Thermopylae with the Spartans and the Persians. It talks about um, the Alamo is one of the stories in there that you can read about. So it's yes. just this whole book. And it's, I mean, it's literally like well over an inch thick. It's a thick book and it's just got, it's, there's, there's, there's how to build a very simple but sturdy workbench. And it's got pictures like DIY pictures. Like there's how to use a chisel if you want to learn basic woodwork. Uh, how to how to uh, clean and skin a rabbit. So anyway. It, it teaches you how to field dress a rabbit? 100%. That's cool. And so it's just, this book is awesome. So anyway, I, I could talk about it for a while. I, yeah, I, I need to carry on. 
So dangerous book for boys and the cover is red and I still have a copy of it. It's very torn up, but I, I will be ordering one today. So that's three books. Um, okay. This is totally another, um, cheating answer. Um, I have a big thick book called the guitar encyclopedia. Nothing wrong with that. That I learned so much about, like it, I, I literally learned how to change guitar strings. I learned, Almost all of my beginner chords, I learned sc- some scales. I learned a ton about style, technique. Bi- okay, fun fact. Um, guitar technique, I'm going to step on a soapbox for a second. A big part of guitar technique is in your right hand, and a lot of a lot of novice players don't pick up on that very early on, and they think it's all about stuff in your left hand. But your technique in your right hand is super important, and so that book and Maybe some YouTube videos and listening to a bunch of records played a big part of developing my... Sir, I will argue that point because I think all the technique for me is in my left hand. Okay. All right, go ahead. Continue on. Because you're a lefty. Because I'm a lefty. But anyway, so the Guitar Encyclopedia. Um, can't tell you who makes it, where it came from. So that's four. So... If you don't say one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, I'm going to be upset. No, it's not that one. Okay. Dang it. Here, this is a kind of a basic answer, but I think this is an amazing book, and it's it's got a great lesson to it. The Old Man in the Sea. Brilliant book. I've Brilliant. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say I've read every Hemingway book. I've honestly only read a handful of them because I read books slowly. Um, But that is an amazing book. And, like, by the end of it, you're just like, and it's an easy read. It's it's not it's what like maybe a hundred pages. Yeah, it's it's, it's it's short. It's a short book for a novel. It's very short, but like Hemingway wrote as he spoke. His prose style is one of the most unmistakable. He he did a lot of, and I didn't mean to cut you off. I just this no, it's okay. It's, it's Hemingway, so it's discussion. It's it's Hemingway, so it's it's like, Hemingway. This he, is important. This is really. He was an awful person. He sure. was. He sure. he wasn't jackass of sure. a human being sure. but his mind he was able to describe things through a prose style and he would do it both ways he would use a lot of words to get to a short point or he'd use a short amount of words to get to a long point and he yeah. was the master of telling you something and using the smallest amount of details and the shortest words mm-hmm. and you knew exactly what it was and you were able to picture it but on the same token, he could take a very short event and he could expound on it, mm-hmm. and you still got there in the same way. His mind was just brilliant. It, it was brilliant, and you know, I've I've read um, I've read a few of his books, um, and honestly, I wish I could say I've read more. But like, um, yeah, I, I've I've read several of his books, and uh, I just. He is my, he is, to me, he's the easiest to read. And that's, that's a big thing for me because like, I remember being in, uh, being in school and like getting a book from the light, like getting a required book to read mm-hmm. or whatever. And just wanting to put my head through a wall. Cause I just, it's like, sometimes I just couldn't take how dry some of these, like how much mindless shit was, you know, like I like authors that are to the point and Ernest Hemingway was very to the point. Mm-hmm. 
He and, lets you know what was going on right he, then. And and he had a great descriptive style. And um, another book that I read that, of his that I read that I really liked was The Green Hills of Africa, where he he turns his experience out on the uh, on, on an African safari into a novel. You know, he 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 took notes from his journal and put it all into a book. And uh, maybe was he on the Serengeti? Maybe I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, he was he was in Africa and he was uh, hunting big game. I've been a massive Hemingway fan since high school. Yeah. Go ahead. Did I did I tell you? That I got to visit Ernest Hemingway's house in Key West, Florida. No. Oh, the Cuba? Or did you go? You went to the Cuba house? Havana, Cuba. I hate you. Yeah, I got the chance to go when I was younger, and uh, we went to Ernest Hemingway's house. And I hate myself for not getting. Um, well, actually, I did get pictures, but they were on another cell phone that was not backed up, and that phone is long gone. And no. so, I have a few pictures from Cuba. And uh, a few pictures with my family and some some of the cars and some of the buildings and stuff. But I don't have any pictures of the Ernest Hemingway house, and I hate it. But that was an experience. So I know it's there's there's a lot going on now with it being considered. They're trying to get it through the Hemingway Foundation to get it locked down and everything. Did you guys get to go into any of the rooms, or was it just windows? No. Um, they had doors open, but they had the doors were roped off, so you could look in the house. You could walk the perimeter of the house. There was a building we could go in. It was a small tower off to the side that he um, would go up and ride in, and we could go in that building and go upstairs and look through one of his writing rooms and you know see some stuff on the desks. And um, But as far as the house itself... Uh, uh, the house itself that, yeah, they didn't allow anyone in. Um, now there was no type of like fee to get in. It was free to the public. The government just keeps it and they maintain it. Mm-hmm. And dude, there is a lot of cool shit there. There's a tractor broken down in the yard that I guess he had, and it just broke down and he just never fixed it. He said, it, fuck it. He said, fuck it. So they just come in and mow with regular mowers and mow around it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are cats on the premises, and what, are there six toe cats? That's that's the rumor. So you know, that's what that's what you hear. I've been uh, this past year. We went to Key West for the first time, and I got to visit the Key West home. I want to go. Uh, I really go. Brilliant! Did you get to go in? Oh yeah, inside? we did the full tour. Uh, so you get to you get the inside of the home itself. You get to tour every room in the house. Yeah. Now his office, his study, which is in the garage in the back, which is upstairs. Yeah. You can walk four feet in, and then they've got it caged off because it is. He he still has the uh, typewriter yep. on the windowsill. He has all the notes on the desk. They haven't touched it since he left. Yeah. And so you can walk in. I had to be asked to um, leave so other people could see it because <laughs> I stood would. there for fifteen minutes. Just soaking it in. Get your ass on. Hey, boy, there's there's other people behind you. Now, I want to <laughs> say there's like 140 cats on property. Yeah. Six toe. It's massive. Six toe cats. And the ho- the cat house is a replica of the home. Okay. It's just brilliant place. You know, um, also, uh, I got to go on his boat. He, <sighs> he had that, that boat that he was notorious. And didn't he go and look for mines? During was it World War Two? He looked for mines and he looked for uh, German subs. Yes, and um, I forget the name of the boat, but it was this beautiful, like chocolate wood, like it was, and it was a big boat, huge, and it, it that's where it was docked. And um, 
we got to we 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 went to that and um it just it just blew my mind like and not not many people um not many people get to get to experience you know that so it, that was a that was a really cool trip. I'm glad you did. That's on my bucket list is going down there. Anything dealing with Hemingway, the boat especially. Now, here's a fun fact. Were there any wooden chairs on the deck of the boat? Like stool-style chairs? I believe so. So here's a fun fact. If they were on the boat, they were birthing stools. Like okay. what were used by midwives. Yeah. He found that birthing stools were easier to carry because of the handle and the weight and the way they were designed. Yes. So like when he would go fishing or taking him on and off of his boat, he used birthing stools. Oh. So that's a random fact that a lot of people don't know. Oh, hey, I have another fun fact for you. Go for it. Ernest Hemingway, Cuba fact. Um, so when, maybe this timeline is not 100% correct, but I believe when he moved, when he first started staying in Cuba, uh, he stayed at a hotel. Mm-hmm. And I do know that he stayed at this hotel. I just don't know if it was, you know, I believe it's when he first got there. It was the Hotel Ambos Mundos. Sounds right. In Old Havana. And I shit you not, that's the hotel we stayed in. They had the Hemingway room roped off and on display. And we, like, dude, this hotel. Legit. It was it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. And like Cuba is hard to describe like, um, or Havana at least, you know, I can't say that we went through the whole Island. We mostly stayed around Havana, but, um, Havana is, is just the, the, the feeling you get when you're there is, you know, because things, things, a lot of, you know, and, and I don't, a lot of the city looks, you know, some of the city looks like it's about to fall apart, but there's a pulse. You know, and it's like it's the the way traffic moves, the way people move. Everybody is so happy there. You know, everybody is always in a good mood. And and I don't know if I if we met anyone that didn't put off just like the most positive, like the most positive vibe, outlook, whatever. You know, and um, keep talking. I'm looking up something about. And so, like, it's just it's such a cool place. And yeah, we we stayed in the same hotel that Hemingway lived in for a little while before he got his, uh, his house. But it, it, it was amazing. It was, it was amazing. And, and I really want to go back, but you got, I would learn Spanish. I don't, I'm not fluent in it. Thankfully I've got, uh, people in my family who are well-versed. Um, and so we, we had a smooth experience tag on to your your cuba thing and the pulse of cuba have you ever listened to the buena vista social club album i think you told me about that you and i've had a discussion about this before i had to look up the name of it if you haven't listened to it and this goes for all the listeners i did listen to that the buena vista social club is about cuban music and about the it's probably about 25 years old i think Sounds awesome. maybe 20 years old but it is brilliant you send me the link later yeah it's all it's all Cuban musicians. It's not like this was a, like a big, you know, whatever label thing. It's, they went to Cuba, they got local Cuban musicians and they went in and had them record some of the traditional Cuban songs. And it is brilliant. I can't wait. Buena Vista social club. I can't wait. See, I should be going to Cuba. Cuba is, is amazing. I would, I would recommend, uh, now here's the thing is, uh, I hope the authorities aren't listening because this is a 
this is about to get. There's free trade embargo now. If you brought back cigars, it's fine now. Cause no, uh, well, I'm um, no comment on that, but, um, no comment. No. Well, okay. I was just told the other day that it's still very much illegal to go to Cuba. Yes and no. So it like, so Barack Obama opened it up a little bit and then it was like shut back down. And then now it's just like, there's it's, all, a, it's like back to the way it was, right? There's a lot of red tape around it. Yeah. I don't know if you currently can. So when we were in Key West, they were talking about the Hemingway, uh, the Cuban home. And obviously we were under lockdown at the time at that. Yeah. So they said you couldn't go, but I want to say, so the lady who did our tour there, she was the president of the Hemingway Association. Yeah. And she was explaining to me, she's been to the Hemingway house like five or six times. And I thought she said you can go there. There was like a couple different ways you can do it. It's it's one of those things where like going to Cuba is kind of like climbing Everest. You, you can do it, but you got to do it a specific way. Look, I'm going to tell you how to take a helicopter to the top because this is how you do it. This is how you get your scissors out and cut through all that red tape. All the red tape. All the red tape, James Bond style. So you get, you got a passport, right? Yeah, I got a passport. Okay, so here's what you do. You take your passaporte and you fly to Cancun because once you're in Mexico, they do not give a shit. They don't care if you go to Cuba. They don't care if you, they don't care. They're not, this is not, that's not America. That's, that's Mexico. So what you do is learn Spanish. Piquito. Mas. Mas? Mas. Okay. Learn mas. And then you go to Cancun, and then you book Air Havana, and you go, you fly to Havana. Now, here's the trick. When you get to customs, and I'm I, I'm dead serious on this. I'm not making this up. You get to customs, you say, no emprente, por favor. And you, so that you don't want to stamp. Because for obvious reasons, you do not want to return to the U.S. with a Cuban stamp in your passport. That's that's you know that's it. You know, but damn it, else. don't you want a Cuban stamp in your passport? Uh, no, <laughs> no, not for legal purposes. I'm talking you about for. Hey, if you're true James Bond style, can you, you know. stamp the back of my hand? So and then here's what you do, and then so you go into Cuba, and uh, you know as far as like the exchange, how to exchange the money. I, that was not my job. So I, you know, that's, you're gonna have to figure that out. That's tricky. Um, and then once you're there, you know, have a good time. Um, eat the food, drink the mojitos, eat the food, drink the mojitos. There are literally people who have quote unquote restaurants in their homes. I believe it. And if you know who to talk to, you can, if you, and I want to eat there. Yeah. And you know, meet the locals and you know, there's going to be a lot of people that will probably be like, you know, pay me and then I'll be your guide, you know, and if it you, makes sense. Yeah. If you get the right people, they'll definitely show you some cool stuff maybe. But anyway, um, yeah. So do that. And then when you go back into Mexico, you're going to have two Mexican stamps in a row. And uh, the story that I was told to purvey is you also don't like they don't stamp in Belize. So if you leave Mexico and go into Belize and then go, you know, go back into Mexico, they'll stamp twice. So then just say, hey. I went to Belize. Went to Belize. And by, you know, it, yeah, I just want to say for the record, maybe I didn't actually go to Cuba. Maybe this is all <laughs> metaphorical. You watched an episode of Miami Vices. Didn't- for official reasons, this story 
is all made up. It's fictitious. Fictitious. Wink, wink. Hey, man, didn't Anthony Bourdain go to Cuba once? Probably. I really want to go back. Did you ever watch a lot of Anthony Bourdain? You know, I uh, I did a little bit. Um, my parents were fans of the Travel Channel growing up, so we no watched, reservations is brilliant. Yeah, we watched Travel Channel, and uh, yeah, and I always he he tried crazy foods. He didn't try as crazy foods as uh, was it Andrew Zimmerman? Yes, that guy eats some crazy stuff. He eats Bear Grill style stuff on the street, and he pays for it. No, I'm not ever going to do that. I have ate mystery meat on a stick. Where at? New York City. I won't do that. That was Subway Rat, by the way. What's that? I said it was probably Subway Rat. It definitely could have been, but it was delicious. It was $2. Um, We were, myself and my friends, Ben Ryan. Benjamin Ryan. That Ben Ryan. uh, We used to be roommates, and they were roommates. (laughs) <laughs> continue we were roommates and uh our friend vanessa <laughs> vanessa our friend vanessa came along as well so it was the three of us we were in new york city exploring the city for a week and um we we went out one night to a brent cobb concert hold on i gotta wrap my head around this you went to new york city and saw brent cobb okay yes yes and it was great at the bowery ballroom where the bowery ballroom okay bowery is like a it's like a neighborhood yeah. there in Manhattan. And so anyway, um, we were walking through the streets and uh, we were staying just south of Central Park, right across the street from Carnegie Hall. That was really cool. Really? Yeah. I believe it was a Hampton. I've never been to or NYC. A, or a Hilton, maybe. Starts with an H. They're both yeah. nice. They were, it was, uh, maybe Marriott. I don't know. It was, it was a great hotel. And so we were staying there and we were walking, um, a good part of the way. And, uh, cause Manhattan's great. You can walk Manhattan. Like it's, it's, it's meant to be walked. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. And so we were in Chinatown and I was hungry. Like I was very, I was simply famished. And so there was a man, um, with a street cart and he was selling meat on a stick. Okay. It looked like beef. It probably honestly was. I'm not knocking street food because I've always heard that dirty water hot dogs from New York are like the greatest thing ever. They legitimately are. And let me tell you, bud, by the end of that week, you know, I was I was spending money through the week because that's New York City, man. It's NYC. It's NYC. And it's so the city. Later on in the week, I was like, if I don't slow down, Broken. I'm going to run out of money. And I got to have money when I get back home, too. So... I, uh, by the end of the week, I was slowing down on the spending. And so I was eating a lot of the street food, honestly, but I, I'm pretty sure I lost a few pounds from all the walking. So you're burning a lot of calories. And dude, let me tell you, like, I'm okay. I have had a lot of pizza in my time. You know, I visited Chicago as a kid. I had really cool parents growing up. Uh, my parents split when I was a kid, but we all like, both sides, my dad, with my dad and with my mom, we traveled a lot. And so I was really lucky in that regard. And so I had deep dish pizza from Ch- in, uh, Giordano's in Chicago when I was a kid. And that was, it was, it was good. I mean, it wasn't, but I, it, just, it wasn't like, it didn't blow my mind. Like it was good, but it was like, oh, this is overhyped. Everybody there said this is the best pizza you'll ever eat in your life. And it was okay. 
But then when I went to New York City, this is more recent within the last few years. Right. Um, went to New York City and dude, like just you can there's we found a shop where you can get a massive, I'm talking like longer than the plate, like hanging over the side of the of a of a paper plate. Like you can get a big piece of cheese pizza for like a dollar. And and you know, a dollar or maybe a dollar fifty or maybe two dollars. Yeah, but, but still. But cheap. I, I know for a fact at least one place I paid one dollar for doll hair. Undal hair for a piece of cheese pizza and it was big and it that was my lunch like it filled me up and I was like oh my god like and then you could go up to these Nathan hot dog carts and you could get for you pay two bucks maybe 250 you know but you just get the tastiest hot dude I still buy Nathan hot dog but like when I go to the when I go to Kroger or HEB I always look out for Nathan's because they had the street carts and they blew my mind and they're just they're so good and, uh, Man, I've always wanted to have a real dirty. So there's travel wise, there's two places I definitely want to go to NYC, and I want to have a dirty water hot dog. Dude, they're so good, and they're everywhere. Yeah, because it's that's part of the city. It's part of the experience. We, oh my god, we were like, we recruit. We were walking around the city. We went to the Met. Go to the Met. If you like history, go to the Met. I definitely want to go there. Did y'all go to Cat's Deli? Yes, yes, we did. And let me tell you, Cat's Deli is interesting. It's It can be a bad experience. Okay. And you wanted to talk about it, but was the food good? No, 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 no. We'll talk about it. It was good. The food was good. And I don't, okay, I'm not going to say it's a bad experience. If the people from Cat's Deli are listening, you have great food and it's a very cool place. And I'm not going to complain about the prices. It, it Compared to like, you know, here, it's going to be crazy expensive. Well, it's, it's, it's totally different type of. It's a totally different thing. So anyway, it wasn't even that. I think that the way they but but the way they do business is aggressive it's weird it's a deli but we went in the middle of the night it was like two or three in the morning because it's 24 hours they handled it like a nightclub like but there's it's not music bumping but there's literally like big dudes in and dressed in all black at the door and they like what they do is they know a lot of the people coming in are going to be drunk and they hand you a ticket and they tell you like if you lose this ticket you have to pay like a massive fee as you like before you can leave. And it, it, it I mean, it's ridiculous. It's like $50 or something. I don't exactly remember the justification behind this, but it was crazy because the thing is apparently if you don't have your ticket, when you leave to them, that's a signal that you somehow could have got in and ate and drank for free and didn't actually pay like based on their system. That's their thing. Well, that's their thing. But it's like, so if you leave without this ticket, you can't leave without being charged a massive fee. And so we go, it's myself and my my friends, and, you know, we had all been drinking that night. We're all a little, a little drunk, you know, a little drunk. A little saucy? A little saucy. And uh, You all lost your tickets? No, 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 no. But we got beers and sandwiches in the Cat's Deli. And, um, I think it was my, I'm not trying to throw her under the bus or anything, but I think it was my friend Vanessa lost her ticket. And like I said, we were all pretty drunk. So she lost her ticket and, uh, I think she had actually handed it to Ben and it was in his pocket, but it took us a few minutes. Just, it took us a, a minute to figure that out. Cause we were all digging through our pockets looking for, and, but like, dude, they like wouldn't let us leave. And like, if you don't have your ticket, like you've got to, like I had my ticket. 
and everything. But like, uh, she didn't have her ticket and they were like, yeah, you're gonna have to pay. And it was just, it was crazy. It, it was weird how they handled that. But anyway, other than that, Cat's Deli, Cat's Deli, uh, the pastrami. I heard it's like out of this, out of, knock, this out of this world, out of this world. It's, it's amazing. And I uh, got a nice dark beer with it. Um, McSorley's McSorley's ale house. I think it's called ale house. It's the oldest. I want to say, I, I know it's the oldest bar in New York city, maybe in the U S I think it's in the U S maybe the second oldest. Cause I think the oldest, I could be wrong on this. Cause I watch a lot of travel channel. It's either in Newport news or it's in like one of those, Towns has the oldest sustained bar. Well, so this might be, uh, it might be, I could be wrong. Well, I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll look at it later, we but look this it's, up. it's, it's definitely the oldest in New York city. And Which is impressive. It's yeah. And like, apparently they had a chair. There's a chair up on the wall that belonged to, uh, you know, this may, I hope this isn't total bullshit, but uh, like the, the, the word on the street is that it was Abraham Lincoln's chair. Like this place is old, old. <laughs> Um, and there's no music. You walk in and it's, Just a bar. it's chatter. Everybody, but like, I, like I went multiple times. I went with Vanessa and Ben. And then I went later on in the week. We all kind of did our own thing for a few nights. And I went to McSorley's for a while and had some beer. McSorley's. McSorley's. And, uh, you hear it mentioned in some movies and stuff sometimes and yeah. TV shows. And, uh, you get, you pay six bucks and you get two beers and they're in, it's technically one beer because they're in not so big glasses. I think each glass is only like eight or nine ounces. Okay. How much? How many ounces is like a standard? How many ounces is a pint? Would you say twenty five, like twenty six, thirty? Well, so these are probably ten ounce glasses or twelve ounce glasses or something. They're not massive, but but they each have beer and they only have two types of beer: light or dark. Oh, there's no brand. There's nothing. There's no, or I don't know. No, I don't know where it comes from. If you and the bartenders have a certain attire that they wear, they're they're, yeah. they're dressed in white shirts with rolled up sleeves. And do they got the they got the like the the bands around the? Arm? I think uh, kind of. It's not. Vests? It's not tacky. It's not tacky. I'm not saying that's tacky. I like that. Sure, sure, sure. I don't. Yeah, they might wear vests and, and they you know they wear towels and so so and and dude, they're moving like they're collecting glasses. They are going down in the cellar to you know that I think the barrel are down in the cellar they have to change the barrels out like these guys are working and so McSorley's is very cool and those beers go when you know I'm not a massive beer drinker but those beers went down easy and I was I was putting them down and so it's uh they're 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 good they're really good, good. I, I'm not normally a beer drinker but uh, or a big beer drinker but I I, I enjoyed that place so McSorley's um 9-11 memorial that was you must know, that was very moving. Um, I learned a lot. And um, then, yeah, it's just New York City is something else. Definitely go walk through Central Park if if it's, you know, if the weather's right. Um, even if it's cold, I personally like the cold weather if I can bundle up. But I dig it's it. Great. I'm a fan. I definitely want to go there. So, Reed, I want to tell you thank you. We've been sitting here for the better part of an hour and a half discussing Chat, randomness. Chatting. And that's what this show was all about. Off mic, off the record. Uh, so, the first half of it, I was always asked for live shows whenever we'd be out. As people would always ask me, hey, what do you guys talk about whenever you would go to commercial break or whenever you're backstage? And i said, nothing. Nothing but this right here. We're playing catch up. Because a lot of times, in especially in the music industry, 
you don't cross paths that often because you're in the same you're in the same vein of work. So everybody's sure. going to different places. Well, things have things have been you know in so many ways things have just been turned on their head in the last Absolutely. year and a half, two years, you know, and and just in so many different ways, and uh, for all of us, and so um, it's just it's good to be catching up, man. It's good to be catching up, and you know, I I lived in a different part of the state for a while and uh just trying to finish my old college degree schoolings schoolings but we're getting there yeah. we're getting there second half was off the record and for me off the record is my favorite type of music has always been the kind of music that you don't find on an album that you don't get sure. to go on a spotify sure and maybe it's not new but it's new to me sure and so i've always asked the artist to close out with a I've song got, i've got one for you you got one for me yeah is it what I'm thinking? We're going to do one song because we're out of time. Okay. So your choice on what you want to do. Man, I really have one I want to play for so play you that I've written recently. Do it. Okay. And we'll save the other song for the next visit. We will. We will. And just for a little bit of context, me and Aaron wrote, we've written a lot of songs first off, as well as with Austin. He's came in. Uh, and yes. So... The song, and we'll we'll, we'll save we'll save that one. If we'll you save don't it. Mind. I want to save. You don't it. mind? Yeah, no, absolutely. I want to save it. So this one, I wrote this song, um, probably, maybe not quite a year ago, something like that. Um, I was in Nacogdoches, and I had this. I had a little um, house that I rented, but like I had kind of a deal with the with the home with like the owner because he was kind of like a more of a personal friend instead of like a landlord. Yeah. And he said as long as, you know, he didn't really charge a whole lot for the house as long as, like, me and my roommate took care of it. And so it was just kind of cool, like, you know, taking care of the house and fixing things. And yeah, because he, he would help pay for things. But but we did a lot of the legwork, like taking care of the place and everything. And so. Um, anyway, it was a really cool little house. And uh, I was like, man, kind of want to write a write a song, you know about home, you know, and okay. that house was very homey to me. And so, uh, yeah, I wrote this song called Home. What makes a house a home, a place to call your own? I've got somewhere I'm happy to call mine. I can stumble, I can fall, crooked roof still standing tall. Every night alone some freighter winds. It's better days have passed, still need to cut the grass. Aside for sure, I surely don't apply. And I'm spending too much time turning dollars into dimes. Mortgage due, my well is running dry. My house may be small, 
But my house has seen it all Through the good times and the times I can't recall It ain't too much to see It's cheap but it ain't free This old house feels like home to me Spend many back porch nights Too many thoughts to write Wishing all my troubles would go away Try and catch a little sleep But my mind is just too deep I'll find a little peace come break of day My house may be small But my house has seen it all From the good times to the times I came call It ain't too much to see It's cheap but it ain't free This old house feels like home to me When I need to be alone It's where I rest after I roam This old house just feels like home Thank you, sir. Ah, I love that song. Thank you. You capture you capture a lot of good imagery in there, and it's again, it's that simple that simple delivery that you get to the point and you're able to get it. I see exactly what you're talking about. I feel like I'm in this house whenever you sing that song. Uh, we can find you on all the social medias. Read Barton. You're going to be on Spotify and Google anywhere, Apple anywhere you get your music. You're on there, and you can also find him on the road playing the lead guitars. For the Austin Up Church, I don't know what what did y'all y'all had different names for the band before. <laughs> there were a few different uh, some we incarnations can't say. Yeah. of of the band name, but no, it's just Austin Up Church. It's not just these church. days. And um, yeah, man, thank you again. So I think we're gonna go ahead and end it. So appreciate you. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for always being uh, there to write music with and uh, hang out with. I, I enjoy those. And we need to do another one of them campfire jammings soon. There will be many more. I don't live too far from here. I I believe I live closer to here now than I did when we first started writing. Together. I think you did. I was in Burleson before. Now I'm in Granbury. So you actually are probably closer. Yep. I don't know. It depends on which back road you take. 25 minute drive. Yep. You're about the same then. Yep. Yeah. I love it. All right. Until next time, friends, my name's Aaron Bentley. Off mic and off the record. Adios. Adios. Off mic, off the record is a Blacktop Poetry production. For more insight into your favorite independent artists and all things behind the scenes and in between, visit blacktoppoetry.com. Our theme is provided by Austin Upchurch. Go check him out at austinupchurch.com. I'm your host, Aaron Bentley. And if you made it this far, you're either really bored or you fell asleep. Either way, thank you for your support, and I'll catch you next time. Adios. Adios.